This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's always a privilege to gather with God's people, and it's a joy to see our brother Jeremy back. And uh, we thank God for all that he has done uh, for, for the family. And we continue to pray and trust in God in all that we do. Now, today's passage is three chapters long, so I've uh, decided that we're just going to read the front and the end. But that means that you really need your Bible with you, and if you have a bulletin, that will help you journey through with us on Paul's journey into Jerusalem. So if you don't yet have a Bible, if you raise your hand, hopefully a Bible will miraculously appear to you. Alright, great. Let us begin by committing ourselves to God. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can sing songs to praise you. Thank you that our hearts uh, can be open to receive your word. We pray your spirit will soften our hearts. Your, your, your spirit will uh, help us to engage with our minds. And that your spirit will strengthen our hands to respond in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, packing your bags... And leaving your loved ones can be one of the most difficult things that you do. Perhaps some of you have done it before. Perhaps some of you have seen loved ones living before. And uh, you'll be no surprise if you look around even in Singapore and you see plenty of examples of people leaving their home to another country uh, for work or for families or for a better future. We see that. In many who have come to Singapore, and many of us have done the same. There's this iconic song by John Dever, which says, Living on a Jet Plane. Anybody have sang that before? Um, perhaps that could even be one of your songs. Um, this song has been sang by many singers, have been used in movies, and it could have been a heartbeat of many who have to live people they love and people who have loved them to a place uh, that they hope to get something better out of it. But what if? What if you are living your homeland or the place that you love? What if you are leaving people you love and leaving people who love you to a place that has no love for you? Where you go there and you expect only persecution, difficulties, sufferings. What kind of song will you sing as you pack your back. And that is the story of Paul in today's passage as he makes his way into Jerusalem. Now, picking up from last week in Acts 20, verse 17, the apostle had arrived in this place called Miletus. He has gathered his uh, beloved elders from, Ephesian, uh, from Ephesus, and they've prayed and they've cried and they've sent him off. And this is what Paul said in his last goodbyes. Let me read this for us. It's on the screen. Paul said, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. So to Jerusalem he must go. He doesn't know what's ahead. 
except that the Holy Spirit warns him of imprisonment, hardships. But he must take this journey to testify for Jesus and God's grace. So after praying and weeping with the efficient elders, he set off, and that's where Dr. Liu begins to pen today's passage. So look at Acts 21 verse 1. He writes, After we have torn ourselves away from them, the efficient elders, we, uh, we put out to sea and sailed to course. And I have a map up there. Uh, the blue color part is where his journey towards Jerusalem is. As Paul and his band of brothers, they journeyed towards Jerusalem, Paul experienced repeatedly the pain of goodbyes and bearing the pleas of people asking him not to venture further. At Tyre, where the disciples persuade and they failed to persuade Paul, they did what efficiency did. They accompanied Paul, but this time with, with the wives, with the children, and they went to the beach and they knelt down to pray. Nevertheless, they would have cried and said their goodbyes. And when Paul finally reached Caesarea, which is the land and the port where he was go on foot into Jerusalem, he came and stayed with Philip the seven. Now, a lot have passed since the last time uh, Paul has met another seven, Stephen the seven. Back then in Acts 6, he was the enemy of the gospel, but now when he meets the co-worker Philip the seven, he is a brother in Christ. And while he was there, Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied and who knows what she, uh, what they have said to him for the past few days while he was with them. But we come to see that more will come for Paul. In fact, a prophet that we are familiar with, Agabus, uh, begins to arrive a few days later. We, we heard of Agabus back in Acts 11 when he prophesied that there will be a great famine in Jerusalem. And you hear of that famine in a lot of Paul's letter. And now Agabus arrived and he said this to Paul and the companions. Verse 11, he says, Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, he tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, so painful and visual was this prophecy by Agabus that even Dr. Luke, along with the companions, they started to cry and plead for Paul, Paul, do not venture further. They are crying because this is a one-way ticket for Paul to enter. Now, if you look at it carefully, the Holy Spirit did not ask them to stop Paul from venturing. The Holy Spirit reveals to them what Paul will experience. So they pleaded with Paul not to go in. But Paul, surely with tears in his eyes, replied this in verse 13. He says, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when all has been said, Dr. Luke and his friends knew they could not dissuade Paul, they stopped. And Luke pens in his journal this words, verse 14, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So this is the Lord's will that Paul must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things. But there is another man before Paul who said the same thing, that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things. The Apostle Matthew, uh, the 
Gospel writer Matthew wrote this in chapter 16. Let me read this for us. Matthew 16, 21 and then 24. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. In verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know what? Paul did not venture into Jerusalem looking for suffering. I don't think that's logical for anyone to do that. But rather, despite of suffering, Paul ventures into Jerusalem because of obedience, even if that means suffering. Now, dear brothers and sisters, as we kind of journey, uh, this journey of obedience, it does not promise us comfort. It does not promise us smooth sailing or even rewards on this side of life. The same, the Paul knew this when he said his goodbye to Ephesians, and the same goes for us when we profess that we are Christians because the journey of obedience can bring us to places that we do not want to go. It can bring us to places that we have no control. It can bring us to places where what we have taken for granted, freedom of speech, personal rights, justice, safety, they're kind of left behind as you walk forward. A doctor friend of mine when that I met in Perth, he said this to me as he was planning to head back to his home country and his hospital. He said this to me, Andrew, I'm worried. My greatest worry is not that I'll go back and work gets difficult. I'm worried how it will be for me to go back and stand firm as a testimony for Jesus. How I will stand firm as a Christian and not dip my hands into bribes where patients and pharmaceutical companies will rain on us. And him being not a junior doctor means that what he does will affect the others. He says, Andrew, that is the thing that really worries me. As we journey a journey of obedience, it's not always an easy sailing uh, of life. The call for us as Christians is not to look for suffering. I hope you're not a Christian who is looking for suffering, but to obedience despite of suffering. That's what we are called to. And this is the picture for the rest of Paul's journey in Jerusalem in today's passage. There are four major events recorded for us. We have read the first and the fourth, but all of them have a similar structure. Let me give you the structure, and as we go on, you can follow along. It will begin with Paul, first of all, presenting himself guiltless. Yet we'll see that, number two, his enemies will come rushing in to destroy him. And eventually, however, number three, God, the Lord, will be standing in the way. So let me say that again. Paul presenting himself guiltless, number one. He, his enemies rushing to destroy him, number two. But the Lord God will stand between them, number three. So as we quite briefly follow Paul, his enemies, and witness God's rescue in this, I just want to bring up front the, the thread that's consistent through all of this. And is this, that no one can hinder God, uh, God's plan for the gospel to, proclaim, to be proclaimed. No one can hinder God and His plan for having the gospel to be proclaimed. And no one can cut short the life of God's servants until God says so. No one can cut short the life of God's servant until 
God say so. So with that, we come into the first account that begins from chapter 21, verse 17 onwards. We read, this time Paul arrived, he's arrived in Jerusalem, and he's been warmly received by the Jerusalem church, and they were sharing of news. Paul tells them how the Gentiles have come to know Jesus, and James and the elders says, and how many thousands of Jews have come to know the Lord, and there was warm exchange. But then, the topic pops up eventually with James and the elders, that Paul is not good news for you that you are here. Because a lot of people have heard rumors that you are against them, you are against God's law, God's, their customs and circumcision. And, and the Jerusalem church tells Paul, listen Paul, we want you to do this to, uh, to kind of silence the, the rumors that's been going on. I want you to join. These four people have taken vow. They are shaving their head. You join them. In fact, not just join them, you pay for them. So that when you go to the temple, everyone sees that you are following the law and the customs. Well, whether Paul likes the idea or not, he goes ahead with it. Perhaps in his mind, his theology was he will do all things, not for himself, but that people may hear the gospel. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. I put it on the screen. Verse 9, Paul has said this elsewhere. He says this, Though I am free and belongs to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And he says this, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. So Paul, he goes in to the Jewish rites and rituals, not for fear of his life, but so that they may also know that he cares for the Jews and they have a chance to hear the gospel. And then we are told some Jews from Asia, presumably those who have been opposing Paul, they arrive in Jerusalem and they decide to cause trouble for Paul. We read in verse 27 that these Jews from Asia, when they saw Paul, this is what they did, they stirred up the whole crowd and seized Paul, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Now here is kind of a familiar scene. We have kind of seen something like that in Acts 6 where people come with false accusation and then they beat up Stephen and eventually murdered him. And so here we have this Jews from Asia coming into Jerusalem and have two major accusations on Paul. The first is this. He says that Paul is teaching against the law, against uh, the Jews, and against the temple of God. And the second accusation is that, you know what, he has even brought Gentiles into the holy temple to defile it, which is totally not true. And because of all this, that they managed to stir up and instigate the whole city into an uproar and riot. And verse 30 tells us this, The people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gate was, was shut. There's kind of no way out for Paul. They have dragged him in. The whole crowd was with him. The door is locked. There's no way Paul would survive this murder. Except that something strange happened. 
Because their instigation was so successful and the uproar was so loud, even the commanders of the Roman soldiers became aware of it and said, there's a riot coming. So the commander brought with him his centurions who brought with them their soldiers and they rushed right in to see what is happening and to stop that murder. And it actually shocked the Jews because they actually stopped trying to kill Paul for that moment. And when that happened, the, the commander came in and he listened in. He's trying to find out who exactly is Paul. But no one could give him an answer. This person says this, that person says that. And at the end, he concludes he must be an Egyptian terrorist who had brought 4,000 terrorists along. And this is that guy. So you see the irony of that, that all the people want to kill Paul, but nobody could actually give a very good reason or in fact who this Paul is. So there you go, the extensive um, attempt to put Paul uh, to death. He would have been dead in a moment, but God intervened and rescued Paul. God's purpose has not yet been completed, and God's servant will not die. I don't know if you've ever been kind of falsely accused or just been kind of given a weird look when you try to be a Christian around. The moment you say you're Christian or you say some Christian thing, you kind of become the, the sultan of the, the group there and you wish that you are not there. Now, as we step back and see this event, two things happen. On one hand, we see the horror and the detriment of false accusation and the words that goes around are unfounded. But on the other hand, we see that God is always aware of what is happening. So perhaps there may be times that we do feel kind of out of place or even be falsely accused as Christians. But there's one thing we know, that God is aware of all of that. But on the other hand, that may we never put our hands in with those who are falsely accused or gossip against another follower of Jesus just because we do not like them rather than they are speaking falsehood. So there we have Paul being rescued by the, the commander and his soldiers. And then we come to a second event, just when the soldiers were about to carry Paul into the barrack, uh, where the Jews cannot go, Paul began to speak in Greek to, to the commander, and the commander was kind of shocked, because he was expecting him to be an Egyptian, but he's speaking Greek to him, and he says, to that Egyptian says, I'm not, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. Can I speak to my people? And the commander allowed him to. And when Paul stood up and motioned to speak, he spoke not in Greek, he spoke in Aramaic. And when he spoke in Aramaic, everyone was silenced because they, they weren't expecting Paul to be like them. Paul says, brothers and fathers, they were not expecting Paul to speak like them, be like them and know what it means to be a Jew. So they silent, suddenly became silent. What the commander couldn't do, Paul just did by speaking Aramaic and they listened. And this is where Paul humbly, locally and appropriately began to address them. Paul described his conversion story, how he became a Christian. He started with his past. He said, you know what, I'm like you. I'm a Jew, brought up in Jerusalem, studied locally. I studied at Gamaliel School of uh, Pharisaic Studies. I knew all about 
what it means to be a Jew, the ways of the Jews. I've been trained the law of Moses. I'm zealous for God, and of course I'm zealous for God's temple. Now, if Paul could have got his alma mater, his principal, Gamaliel, to write him a, a letter of reference, he would have written that he was the top student of his cohort, or in his kind of yearbook. Now, when I was in Bible college, at my graduation, there were prizes to be given out for preaching, for language, for service, everything. But my year, when all these were listed out, there was only one name. There's this sister who kind of claimed everything, and now she's gone to Middle East, so she can't use any of her language and stuff. But, but there you have it. If Paul was in that situation, he would have been that person. He was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. If Gamaliel would come and testify for him, that day the crowd would know that he's no ordinary man who is ignorant of God's ways. Then Paul continues. Then he goes on his Damascus uh, conversion story. He met Jesus while he was on his way to arrest Christians. But instead he himself became a Christian, got converted. And then God sent this man called Ananias to him and gave Paul instructions. Now why does Paul even mention this second person, Ananias? If you look at verse 12, this is what Paul says about Ananias. Ananias, he was a devout observer of the law, highly respected by all the Jews living there. Unlike the unknown Jews from Asia who come and give unfounded accusation, Paul has just brought up people that could be his witness, that he is no a rebellion against the Jews, that he is one who knows God's way and he's one who loves God. In fact, this is what Ananias, one who's respected by the Jews, said to Paul. He was the one that baptized Paul, and he was the one that says this to Paul. Ananias said in verse 14, The God of our ancestors has chosen you, Paul, to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You'll be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, what are you waiting for, Paul? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. So here is Paul, who in the midst of his riot, calmly presents his testimony of being a Christian, that he had repented, that he had come to Jesus, has been forgiven, and now he is a Christian. Now, does that sound familiar to you? If you're a Christian, does that sound like your own testimony? They were kind of rebellious, God came, intervened, and save you, and you are forgiven of sin, and now you just live for God, and for Christ. Now, Ananias would be Paul's witness that Paul was no enemy of the Jews, nor the law, nor the temple. Paul was simply obedient to God. And Paul not only wanted to clear this accusation, what he really wants is that so that you may be like me, that you may know Jesus. But he will not get that chance. Because silence broke the moment Paul said in verse 21, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And immediately the riot began again, perhaps by the instigators who would not want Paul to continue. And they cried with blood thirst, verse 22, Read the earth of him. He's not fit to live. It's a total attempt to just silence Paul and to kill him. Such was the hardness of their hearts and the deafness of their ears. The Jews would not bear to listen to Paul's testimony, even if he gave it clearly, factually, humbly, and evidently. 
We've seen that in Stephen. We've seen that in Paul now. They just want him dead. Dear brothers and sisters, you know, as we have been taught to share our testimony, how we became a Christian to non-Christians, making it personal, telling them how Jesus changed our life, you know, there will be times people will hear and people will respond to Jesus the way that the Gentiles did during Paul's time. But let us not be fooled because there will be times where people will hear and they will grind their teeth against you for doing that. Like what is happening to Paul at this very moment. Should we be praying to God for more opportunities to boldly share the gospel and to share our testimony? Yes, definitely we should. Should we pray that people will receive it and come to know Jesus? Definitely we should. Should we expect that people will always think we are nice guys or ladies? If you speak nicely, gently, and faithfully, the answer is no. It's hard to look into Paul's mind and wonder what he was thinking. Would they accept or would they reject? Perhaps he thought they would accept because he himself became a Christian. But perhaps they would not. Because he was there, as he said in verse 20, that he was there giving approval to the stoning of Stephen when he was sharing about Jesus. How Paul thinks, we do not know, but what we know is that he faithfully presented boldly and clearly his testimony and also about Jesus. In September 11, 2012, there was this um, program in ABC in Australia called Q&A, whereby they'll get a panel. They'll get a panel and they'll have um, special guests around and they'll raise some tricky uh, or very hot topic uh, cultural issues or uh, societal issues and current affairs and the, the guests are meant to respond and they will respond and correspond to each other giving each other time to um, to speak. On this occasion on September 11, the panel included this comedian, her name was Catherine Devini and among the other um, guests was the Archbishop of Sydney, Peter Jensen. Now as the program progressed and the questions are being asked, it became clearer and clearer that Peter Jensen was standing as an evangelical Christian, stating what a Christian uh, would respond. And it became clearer and clearer as well that more and more people don't really like him, especially the Vini. And at, as the heat rises, one thing kind of just shot up, if you watch the video on YouTube, is that Jensen carried himself respectfully. He was humble before God, he was bold before people, and he presented the gospel, even though it was kind of uh, interrupted all the time. He managed to do that um, despite all the interruptions. Later after the show, there's a Christian historian by the name John Dixon. I don't know if you know him. He tweeted this. He said this, Davini speaks to Jensen mockingly. Jensen doesn't respond in kind. Somehow there's a worldview in operation. Now, dear brothers and sisters, as we kind of share the testimony of how we became Christian or about Jesus, Notice this thing, that there is a change of worldview. There will be people who will listen and they will realize that there is gaps in their worldview and they start to realize they need to know more about Jesus. But there will be others who look at your worldview and say, mind your own business, shut up, you have your worldview, I have mine. That's the reality when that is when the gospel is being proclaimed and the testament is made because there is a confrontation of worldviews. But yet, God's plan will not be hindered. 
So as the riot grew again, God used the unnamed commander to rescue Paul the second time, bring him to the barracks where the Jews could not reach him. And all of this, God intervened and rescued Paul. Now this commander, he decides, I need to get to the bottom of this and the best way I, I, I could think of is, I'm going to release Paul. I'm going to get the, the, the religious Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrins in, and I want them to interrogate Paul so that I could get to the bottom of this. And so here we entered into the third event in Jerusalem for Paul and his opponents. So as we step into that kind of interrogation ring by this third event, we have Paul versus the chief priest and the Sanhedrins, the religious elites. And Paul was there and he looked straight at the Sanhedrins in the eye. Who knows? Paul has been the elite among Gamaliel's school. Perhaps some of these Sanhedrins are his colleagues or his classmates who have gone up the ranks, people who have asked him for answers when they are doing assignments. Perhaps, perhaps not, but he was in the circle. And as he looked at the Sanhedrin, he says, Brothers, I fulfill my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. He has not even begun his defense when he said that the chief priest asked that Paul be slapped on his mouth. You know what has happened to Paul? Early on, Paul was almost murdered by the crowd illegally. He was a Roman soldier. He was a Roman citizen. And then when he was chained, the commander unknowingly has also done something illegal. He chained a Roman citizen who is more of a Roman citizen than him because Paul was born a Roman citizen. The commander paid money to be a Roman citizen. He, he almost beat up Paul as well. But, and here, the chief priests, those who are religious, those should be right, they smacked the face of Paul illegally before a defense was made, before a verdict was given. But we should not be surprised because this has happened before. Let me read to you what the Apostle John said when Jesus himself was in a trial among the religious leaders. Let me read to you John 18, verse 27. Not too long ago, when Jesus had said his defense, or said his testimony, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what it is. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? So just as the religious leaders themselves violated the law when they struck Jesus, when they struck Stephen in Acts 16, they've done the same thing to the Apostle Paul. Their violence on him was not about truth, but of hatred. Now, as Christians, this is a sobering truth that we need to remember. Jesus has said this himself. Let me read and refresh us what Jesus said. He said in John 15, 20, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. You know what? We will not receive different treatments in this world to what Jesus has received. People who have received the Lord as their Savior, they will receive those who testify for Him. 
the people who have spurned Jesus, have used his name as vulgarities, they will also treat you with contempt. It will not be different. The Lord says, they have done this to me, they will do the same to you if you witness for me. So if you're a Christian, this is something that we need to know. But if you're not a Christian, then my plea for you is to step back and let the Bible tell, speaks gently, um, respectfully to you. Listen to what the Bible says before you pick up the negative sentiments that goes around the world at times, especially in the West where Christians are easily called homophobia, homophobic, intolerant, arrogant people who think that they are only ones that can be saved. And the list goes on. I'll ask that if you're not yet a Christian, don't slap the Bible off, but let it open and let it defend. In fact, let it speak and proclaim what God has to say. And let your rational, and as the Holy Spirit guides you, to see the consistency of what God has to say about us, the world, and himself. Now the trial continues and ends in kind of a somewhat predictable way. Paul declares that I'm a Pharisee from a Pharisee background and I believe in resurrection. That's all he said. Because in the Sanhedrin, you know, even in in, in government, you also have opposition in there. So the Sanhedrins, you have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they totally believe in miracles, in signs, in angels. The Sadducees totally think that uh, resurrection is nonsense. And the moment Paul says, I'm a Pharisee, I believe in resurrection, that's why I'm here, they started to fight among themselves. And so serious was the fight that Paul was almost kind of torn into pieces by them. And when the, when the unnamed commander looked at it, he says, that's not what I'm trying to do. He quickly sent his soldiers in and bring Paul back into the safety of the barrack. So third time, Paul was rescued by God's agent, this unnamed commander. But by now, we perhaps should ask two questions as we've been journeying with Paul. And the first question is this, why did Paul continue to speak in the face of all the violence? Why did Paul continue to speak in the face of all the violence? And why did God keep him alive? Because no one else would have gone through these rounds and rounds of murderous uh, riots. And the answer finally comes in verse 11. If you have a Bible, look at verse 11 with me. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The Lord Jesus, who died and rose again, was there all along with Paul. No one sees Jesus in all this. Have you seen Jesus while you're following? No one sees Jesus, but he was there all along. Paul was like Jesus, who seemed to be alone in Jerusalem. Where was James and the Jerusalem churches? Where were the thousands of Jewish Christians? They were not there. Paul was there alone. But he was not alone. There was one who was alone. Jesus himself, in his trial in Jerusalem, he was alone. In fact, this is what happens to him. But Dr. Liu writes about Paul and he says that Paul is not alone. This is what happens. He says, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, 
you must also testify in Rome. And this truth is not just for Paul. Jesus, as he gave his great commission, he said to all who testify for him to make disciples, he says, and I will be with you always to the ends of the age. What we see in Paul and verse 11 is to reveal to us what always happens even when we do not see it. That when Christians testify for Jesus and when they feel alone, when the rest of the world rejects them or her, Jesus says, and I am with you always. And why did Paul continue to speak in the face of all the violence? Because the Lord also says to Paul specifically that you will also go to Rome. What is happening here? Jesus is asking Paul, Paul, you come to Jerusalem to testify for me, the place where salvation first exploded. And as I've told you, that you go to the ends of the earth, I want you, Paul, to also go to the end of the known world, to the Roman Empire, where, Caesar, where, where the emperor is, and you will testify there. And because of that, Paul will not die before his time. And just to affirm that, let's look at the fourth scene. In 23, 12 to 24, we quickly hear another conspiracy appears. Forty Jewish men, they took their vows to murder Paul with the approving involvement of the chief priests and elders of the Jews. It's kind of irony that the elders and the chief priests are kind of having this conspiracy with 40 men who just wants to murder Paul. But again, this murderous plan was foiled when Paul, we didn't even know he has a sister, but now he has a nephew. His nephew heard of it and told Paul and eventually the commander. And God's intervention the fourth time to rescue Paul comes in. After the young man had given the account to the unnamed commander eventually, we read verse 22 of chapter 23. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 400, uh, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at night. Provide horses for Paul as, so that he may take, be taken safely to Governor Felix. What we are seeing here in this fourth event, Paul was innocent, the conspiracy was out of hatred, but God was there. Paul's time is not to come, not yet in Jerusalem. He has unfinished task. And so he will move on. And Paul has famously said this in Philippians. When he was prison, he said this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He didn't speak out of nothing, but it is what has happened to him. So while these 40 hungry, angry, violent Jews are kind of trying to ambush on the, on the road to, to, to the Sanhedrins, Paul with this big troop of 470 soldiers with two centurions and him on a horse go galloping to Caesarea. I just wonder how long these people will go hungry before they decide to break their vows and you know, eat their food. Because Paul is not coming back. Paul is going eventually to Rome. 
Dear friends, as we kind of conclude today's account of Paul in Jerusalem, we need to recognize the implications for you and for me in today's passage. Because like Paul, we are saved by the cross of Jesus. But we are to carry our own cross to follow Him as well. When we venture in our workplace or social gathering or family dinner, perhaps relatives dinner, we may be confronted with oppositions because you speak about Jesus. Will we stand firm in those situations? Or if you're kind of working, you might be in a situation where you have to make ethical decisions or just going for lunch with your friends where you have um, moral uh, debates about what the world should be and you as a Christian, and they know you're a Christian, is sitting there. How will you respond as a Christian? Silence doesn't mean disagree. Will we respond as Christian witnesses? And as a church, when we become convinced of what the Bible says, the creation order about marriage, about um, objective morality, and then we face the world, how will we respond as a church? You know, last year we already have one round of it, where we have to um, deal with a theological um, decision in our denomination, where we would not budge, because that's what the Lord says. But as we look out of the world, there are many churches who are, there are many different churches who are evangelical church who may have an evangelical, uh, faithful, Bible-believing minister, but they go into shark-invested denominational meetings where it's being led by liberals who have long ago thrown the authority of scriptures and they'll be happy to feast on them and take their land. That's not too far away. We already have churches in Europe who have lost their church buildings just by standing as faithful witness for the Lord. And not all who witness for Jesus will escape death, unless God wants you to go to Rome or another place. Perhaps that's where we will land, like Stephen and not Paul. But all who witness for Jesus, wherever he has placed us, we can be assured that Jesus is with us. And his plan for the gospel to be proclaimed, will not be hindered, and his plans for his people and servants will not be foiled. No one can hinder God's plan, and no one can remove God's people without his approval. As we end, may we not sing with Betty Midler, who sing that famous song, God is watching us. From a distance, you could almost sing it. But rather, we will sing the words of Jesus that I'm with you always to the very end of age. Should we pray to God? Father, we thank you for today's um, account of Paul in Jerusalem. God, as we look at Paul, the great apostle who have written so much of our New Testament. But yet, his conversion story is so much like ours. That while we are rebelling against you, Jesus comes to save us, 
to show us we're sinners, that we repent and come to Him, that He forgive our sins. And so now we live for Him, not with arrogance, but with thankfulness. So Father, we pray that as Paul has stood firm in Jerusalem, not for the sake of getting persecution, but despite persecution, to be faithful and obedient, that God will teach us to do the same individually in our lives, as a group, and as a church. For your glory we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.